0: and fine. All right, well, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity again to come before your word to review the values of our church and or just to keep us in sync with the things that um, we have determined our priorities and opportunities to love and serve you and we pray your blessing on those who are still on their way, those who are getting sleep, those who are away from us, but also particularly those who are sick and um, are not able to be with us this morning, carrying various burdens, and pray your mercies and your relief on them. Please uh, bless our time and your word and in our worship today, in Christ's name, Amen. All right, well, this is week number two. We skipped last week, or we didn't have it last week because of the congregational meeting. But we as elders thought it'd be a good time to review our core values and just uh, think about the things that we have prioritized as a church just to kind of sync us up and uh, orient us toward the Scripture and the things that uh, are most valuable to us. Uh, So this is week two of what I'm calling Core Values 3.0. I've taught this twice before. Uh, once um, over a six month period, a second time over I think six weeks, and uh, this time we're doing it in three weeks. So by the next time we do it, it'll probably take like fifteen minutes. so that'll be that'll be good. So core values. Here's how we've broken it up. Most of you are already familiar with these. the triad of love God, Build the Church, Reach the World with each of the sub uh, headings under them. And we are this week looking at build the church. Uh, by making and maturing disciples of Christ and by equipping and serving the body of Christ. So let's begin with this morning with building the church by making disciples. Uh, this is rooted in Matthew 16, where Jesus um, asks uh, his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Jesus uh, hears the different responses. Say some say a prophet, some say John the Baptist. Peter answers, uh, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, You are it is upon this rock that I will build my church and the gates of hell of Hades of death will not come against it. And so there's Jesus's promise that hell itself, that the gates of hell, which when I preached to Matthew, I argued is actually death, uh, that death itself will not overcome what Jesus is doing in the building of his church. So the backdrop of building the church is that we're not trying to do something Jesus isn't participating in but it's based on the promise of what Jesus said he would do and so based on that promise we are participants of building the church so it takes the pressure off of us of thinking you know well if we don't do it the work won't get done but we are participating in that which God has promised through Christ that he will do in building his church which brings us, of course, to Matthew t- chapter 28, where Jesus is raised from the dead. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so our charge in building the church is to make disciples. It's been pointed out many, many times that it's not just to get converts. It's not just to get a profession of faith, but actually to enter people into the process of discipleship. So this uh, telling of the gospel, this making disciples, the starting point of what we do is what we call typically evangelism. And evangelism has, in many people's minds, a a wide variety of images or processes. But really what it is about is is announcing the good news. Uh, When we think about preaching, sometimes we think about somebody standing in a lectern or in a pulpit or in the corner of a street, but it's really the announcing of the good news can can be in any setting. The announcing of the good news is just simply to say that the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find is that this is a theme that's picked up in the book of Acts, and you can turn to Acts chapter 28, and this has kind of always been a A key passage for me in thinking about it. Uh, When it says that Paul goes to Rome, he appeals to Caesar, he goes through the shipwreck, he lands on the island of Malta, they uh, rescue them, they are delivered from that island, he goes to Rome, he's in a house uh, under house arrest, and we're told in verse 30 of chapter 28 he, being Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming or announcing. The kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so, what we are called to do, first and foremost, is to announce the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. And there's a number of different ways to evangelize, there's a number of different ways to proclaim the good news. But one of the points that I want to point out is it's just not forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is a crucial part of what announcing the kingdom of God means. But it's really announcing what Christ has done, is doing, and yet will do. So it's a meta narrative. It's a story. It's to put it in the context. It's not just, hey, here's a way to be forgiven of your sins, but also here's a way to live according to the kingdom. Here's a way to live uh, for the glory of God. And so there's a much larger picture. As a matter of fact, so here's the self-promotion for my Sunday school coming up. We're going to talk about um, evangelism and apologetics in the context of announcing the kingdom. And uh, the particular tool we'll be using is called Two Ways to Live. And it's not just, uh, you know, something like the Navigator's Bridge um, illustration, which is an excellent illustration talking about reconciling us to God through Jesus. Uh, but Two Ways to Live is the way to proclaim the gospel, to announce the gospel in a meta narrative of God as creator, it explains the fall, explains redemption and how there are really two ways to live and so the gospel is simply the good news of Jesus what he has done for us in Christ what he is doing in us now in our sanctification and in the community of the church and what he will do when he comes again in glory and sets the world right and so that's the big meta-narrative of the good news Um, I like using words that that um Because we talk about preaching the gospel, um, because that has become such a a, um, kind of a stereotyped idea, I like to change words around just to think about it differently. So it's just announcing the good news or announcing the kingdom um, is a way that I think about it that throws me a little off kilter and makes me think more deeply about it. So that's what we do in making disciples. It's just to tell people about what Jesus has done, is doing, and yet will do. That's uh, that 's the starting point. So what we see here is more than in making disciples it 's more than getting a decision it 's more than just somebody praying a prayer it 's more than somebody just accepting forgiveness it 's more than that it 's not less than that, but it 's definitely more of that. It is to pray and to see the work of the Spirit uh, in a response. So even if you 're not a Christian here this morning, what does it mean to believe the gospel? It means, by the work of the Spirit, a change of mind about God in the world. And not only God in the world, but God in ourselves and the world that's around us. It's to change the mind. It's repent. Uh, We often think of repent merely as doing something different, and it includes that. But it's first and foremost a metanoia, a change of mind. It's a change of thinking about who God is. It's a change of thinking about the world, why we exist, what our purpose is. Uh, what we are doing, what are we are living for, what are the big priorities in life. Really, the, the, the announcing of the kingdom is then to reorient us to all of these other things, a, a change of mind about God and the world, and then turning to live in trust by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is repentance and faith. And so we now turn from trusting in other things to turn and trust in Jesus. And so in making disciples, this is like stage uh, one or stage zero this is how we begin is by telling people about the kingdom and how do we know that the spirit of God is at work is when they change their mind about the world and about God and when they commit themselves in faith to follow Jesus as a disciple and that's the beginning of this journey together and so that's what we are committed to do as a church is to make disciples of our children to make disciples of our friends to make disciples of those that we work with Uh, As we see the Spirit of God working, we are telling the good news and announcing it to others. So this is the entry point then uh, in a relationship with Jesus as a disciple. So that's what we mean by we are building the church by making disciples. How? By announcing the good news of the kingdom and by grace, seeing people repent, change their mind and live by faith in Jesus. So as disciples then, we learn to live out a life of love for God and neighbor. So this, again, isn't the modern, uh, too often uh, cliche of just receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and forgiveness of sins. But it's entering into a new way of living to love God and neighbor. And then the church is built as it becomes the salt and light in the world, which she is intended to be. And so it's a building of a community. It is a building of a people of God. It is a building of a church made up of individual stones coming together and living in community as salt and light. And so that's what we're committed to do through evangelism, through opportunities of outreach, through um, some of us who do open-air preaching or uh, reading the Bible with non-Christians or getting to know people at our our local whatever— uh, whether it be the abbey or um, a, a pool hall um, or other places. <laughs> that's Boy, that's really something. Um, one of our brothers has joined a pool league that he's very, very good at, and there he's trying to build relationships, which is a pool hall back in the day had a very, very different connotation, I think. Well, maybe not than today, but, um, but wherever we work and live and play, that's what we're doing um, in making disciples. So, Making disciples through evangelism, through a call to faith and repentance in Jesus. And then secondly, the second sub-point is by making and maturing disciples. So it's not just getting people saved. It's not just getting them into the kingdom. But the goal of making disciples is not merely getting saved, but maturity in Christ. And you can look with with me at uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, what uh, is Paul's great goal here and the thing that he strives for. Verse 28, him we proclaim. That is, Jesus, what he has done, is doing, and will do. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So his labor, his great toil, his great energy is given toward maturing disciples. Not just getting them born. And and I I, uh, I know of a pastor, the phrase that he used with me many, many years ago. He says, our church is really a birthing church. um, And then they go off to other places to mature. And I thought, well, that sounds good at first, but it's kind of like, so you have a baby and then you set the baby in the hall and let somebody else pick up the baby to mature them. Well, Paul's great earnestness is not only that people be born again, but also in that new birth, they be made mature in Christ. And so, so it's not just disciples making disciples making disciples. And it's just this like almost a multi-level marketing thing of just getting people saved. It's like, well, coming into the kingdom means then we enter a path in Christian maturity. And so here's an image uh, that I came up with quite a few years ago. And what we see on the left side of the line there is those who are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people aren't disciples of Jesus. They're the walking dead, as uh, described in Ephesians chap- chapter 2. Uh, you, We who were dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked according to the, the principles of this world and uh, And the devil himself, so you who were once dead, he made alive in Christ. And that's that dividing line. And then what happens when somebody, by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, through the announcing of the gospel, is born again, is that they are born spiritual babies. And someone is a spiritual baby, whether they're five years old when they come to Jesus, or 20 years old when they come to Jesus, or 50 years old when they come to Jesus, They start all the way at the beginning because they went from being dead to now being alive. And so there's spiritual infancy. And so there's the movement from infancy to childhood to adulthood to parenthood, where someone is growing and maturing in Christ. And there are are children in Christ, no matter what age they are. There's teen age, if you will. There's adults. And then parenting is really where someone moves from being if you will, more dependent on others for spiritual growth to being the ones who are actually helping others to grow spiritually and mature. And so there's this basic um, then timeline, if you will. But the thing is that it's not just an issue of time. You don't mature in Christ just by growing older. Maturity has to do with maturation in particular um, attributes. And so here's some of the the things that mark uh, Christian maturity. Maturation in, first and foremost, and you're going to hear a whole sermon on this in the next hour, Lord willing. Um, but love. It's maturation in love. It's learning to love God and learning to love others. And uh, there is a maturation of what love means and how love acts and what, um, how love expresses itself. And uh, a person who is newborn in Christ is not going to know how to love or have experienced love as much as one who is mature in Christ or someone who is parenting others in Christ. And so there's a maturation in learning to love others, which means, as we'll see in the next hour again, uh, doing good to others, loving others, serving others, caring for others, being patient with others, not keeping account of other people's sins, of forgiveness, of mercy. Um, That happens experientially as one grows and matures in Christ. A second thing that one matures in is a knowledge of God's truth. That is, a knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge of God's world, a knowledge of God's revelation of himself. It is understanding. It is not just having information, but it is knowing more deeply and experientially over time. And the thing is that there's no fast track to maturing. There's just no way to speed up the process, if you will, any more than there's a, you know, if we take Ellie and bring her down the hallway and say we're going to be, be, have her spiritually or physically mature within a week or a month or years. It's just like it takes time in life. And that's just spiritual Christian maturity takes that. One of the most ironic things for me in, in the pride and arrogance of who I am in becoming a new Christian, I remember thinking how much smarter I was than everybody else and how much more mature. I almost wrote a book like within the first year of my Christian uh uh, coming to christ uh i was going to call it something like true zeal like i was going to tell the church what true zeal was about because obviously like i i'm the i'm i'm you know the incarnation of jesus to come to that's an overstatement but you get the idea it's just i'm looking at the lukewarm church and lamenting and i've been a christian six months a year and i just think you know what what this church needs is for me to write a book about what true zeal is about. It's just, it's just stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid, immature, ignorant, well-meaning, but, but um, it's just not, not mature. It just takes time to mature. And often the people who are most zealous for uh, the church to get busy, uh, not always, but often the loudest voices are those who are relatively young in Christ. And of course, you hear things from older saints, you know, where they pat you on the back and say, oh, yes, I remember. And you just think, oh, you're just you're just lukewarm. That's what's wrong with you. Well, it may be that, but it also may be just maturity. So knowledge of God's truth over time and not just knowing information, not just going to seminary, not just having uh, a knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, but a knowledge of God's truth as lived in the world with people in the presence of God. Also, then a uh, maturation over time in confidence in God, assurance in God. Uh, There's a lot of talk about my personal assurance of salvation, but I think the focus really ought to be is my confidence in God himself, assurance in God, Uh, not assurance in my own salvation, but assurance in God himself will give me that confidence. So it's a, a growing in confidence in who God is and what he's doing in the world over time wisdom in life and relationships, which is certainly tied to love, but just wisdom in how to live and love. And, you know, it's a kind of a trial and error. You glean things from the Bible and you say, okay, I think this is the Bible, the way the Bible tells me to live. And then you see some of the consequences of that over time. You're going, hmm, I may have misread that. Let me think, (laughs) let me rethink my thinking about this and how this applies in life. So, It is maturity in relationships, particularly relationships of love, maturity in courage, uh, and adversity in suffering. Over time, uh, we hopefully grow in maturity of of enduring the difficulties of life, in suffering, in disappointments, in difficulties, and have more of a settledness to not be quickly shaken, as, as Paul talks about in Philippians, not to be uh, the, the Greek that he uses there is basically to be like skittish uh, ponies that, that jump and start at, at every loud noise or at every problem, not to be that, that skittishness, but growing in depth of confidence in the midst of adversity and in suffering is part of the maturity. And then maturity in generosity with God's gifts, um, learning to give and to let go and to be less materialistic and uh, being willing to give sacrificially over time of our our time, our talents, our treasures, um, and so growing in generosity—that uh, that's part of of growth and maturity in Christ. And then uh, maturation and righteousness, equity, and justice of doing the right thing, of speaking the truth, of not lying, of being honest, of of being more faithful in uh, my workplace, and being more faithful. To do what I said I was going to do, to to treat people uh, with equity and justice and righteousness. Um, That's just a part of uh, this maturation in Christ. And then all of that moving toward then uh, spiritual parenting, which moves from, and and we're always interdependent with one another as a community, but maturation means I'm less dependent for other people to feed me, to guide me, to, to uh, give to me what I need. And I begin to be a, a giver to others and care for others and love others and teach others, as uh, the writer of the Hebrews says. By now, some of you, know, you, you should have been teachers, but some of you need to be taught the basic principles uh, of the things of God. And so maturation comes when I'm not as dependent. I'm still interdependent with the, the body, but I begin to be able to mentor and pour into the life of others and disciple others, um, not merely because I have more information, but because I, I, I am growing, we are growing in maturity in Christ in some of these different ways. And uh, like Paul tells Timothy, to be an example to the believer in life and speech and faith and purity and love. Um, and that's what what we ultimately, the goal and desire is uh, to be those who model and we can say, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then lastly here, uh, just to to reiterate, maturity takes time. It takes experience. It takes the reality of failures, which is why we have to be patient with one another. Uh, The reality of successes. uh, Maturity takes humility, teachability, and uh, Referring back to myself in the early days of my Christian walk, especially, not exclusively, but especially, um, I, 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 there was a lot of lacking of humility. And in, in, without humility and teachability and openness and willing to listen, we get stuck in spiritual infancy. Uh, we can be growing in information, but if we're not teachable and humble uh, to the church community, we can get stuck in spiritual infancy or adolescence. Um, be stuck there for a while. And so the quicker we can get low, uh, as someone has put it, uh, the better off uh, we are in position to grow in Christian maturity. So making disciples through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, is doing and will do, and maturation of disciples, which is why the church, we need one another. We need uh, growth in Christ and we need patience as we see People grow together, and again, it's just that that reality that more information and and, in even seminary education, there could be somebody, uh, a a godly saint in her 70s, 80s, or his 70s, 80s, who doesn't have all the knowledge of theology, but yet who's way more of a mature Christian in these these things than than someone who's a guy who just graduated seminary and has his degree and is relatively new to the faith, Um, and I'm not saying it's either-or, um, but maturity is about character. Maturity is about these things, not just information. And maturity is particularly about life, humility, teachability, and experience. And so it's just something you can't rush. There's no, there's no microwave version of Christian maturity. It's a crockpot that happens over time. So that hopefully will give us uh, patience with younger Christians, patience with those who are new to the faith, patience to those who are stuck, Uh, as we look for patience for us in our ignorance and our failures and our foibles. All right, so making maturing disciples. And that moves us on to then the the last two points under uh, Build the Church, and that is uh, making maturing disciples, it has to do with character, but then when we talk about equipping and serving, we're talking about works. The other we're primarily talking about character and growth and maturity now we're moving to what, what do we do, um, which is, is an important thing, to be a hearer of the word and not a doer only. So when we talk about equipping and serving the body of Christ, if you would please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the well-known passage about God uh, in Christ, uh, taking captive, captivities cap- captive, ascending, giving gifts to men, including, verse 11, shepherds, evangelists, teachers, Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. i in chapter four, verse 13. So that to mature manhood, that's what we were just talking about on the previous slide, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that, again, that's just maturity in Christ's language. Verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, that's the confidence in God component, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, as we're building up the body of Christ in this way, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, again, the previous slide, him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, now here's the focus of what I'm looking at here, The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's the word equipped. That's what we're talking about. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it's building the church by equipping the saints to build up itself in love. And notice the phrase there where every part is doing its part. And so the equipping is for the participation of the whole body of every single person who is a disciple of Jesus growing in Christian maturity to figure out what is it that I do to build up the church. What, what is my function? What is my role? How do I participate in what Christ is doing in the maturity of his church as the, the, the pastors, teachers, uh, evangelists, prophets, as they equip us to do the work of ministry how am I equipped? How, how do we equip and how do we participate in the whole body? And so that you can see then Christian maturity isn't just a personal thing. We don't grow up into the full stature of Christ alone, but even a church can be measured in its own relative Christian maturity as time goes along, as they build up one another in Christ. So the purpose of the gifts then, so that's the equipping of the gifts. What, what is the purpose? What is the participation It is uh, Christ, through his gifts in the church, equipping the church to build itself up. For what purpose? Well, we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you could turn there, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 4. There are a variety of gifts. We're talking about gifts within the body. But it's the same spirit. There are varieties of service. But the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. So there's three. It's a triad there. He's he's doing a little bit of theological poetry. Uh, So we have spirit, Lord, and God. And this is uh, in conjunction with service, activity, or gifts, service, and activities. Those are all parallel. Uh, They're the trinity of works, if you will, and gifts in the church. It's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given... To each, that is each person within the body of Christ, to each is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the abilities to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So he's giving an incomplete list of how the spirit gives different people different gifts within the church. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So the Spirit says, okay, here's so-and-so. I'm now empowering them with the gift I want them to have for them to function in the body to help that body grow in Christ. And the thing is, the Spirit, the Spirit is not like... Uh, he has a complete list of those who are in the church. He doesn't come along and you haven't been skipped. He didn't get to you and, you know, your name wasn't on there, so you didn't get a gift. You you already have a gift latent in you, whether you realize it or not. The Spirit has already given that to you, and it may lay dormant. It may be latent, um, or it may be expressed in different ways. But nevertheless, every single person in the body of Christ has gift or giftings. I like to think of it because I don't want to narrow it down to a single, you know, i got to find my gift. It's usually kind of an array of gifts rather than a single one. And so here he does that as he wills. And so me going, well, I don't like that I have this gift. <laughs> well, it was what the Spirit gave, right? Well, I'm just really good at this. and I'm really, But most of the time, I think all the time, when we discover our gift, it, it, it coincides with what we want. It is really fused in with our own desires and abilities. It's like, Oh, I have the gift of this and I hate doing that. I don't I don't think it works that way. I think it's the spirit working in the will that this is that this is the area that I love serving in and I want to do. And so uh, but that comes in the recognition is it's not because I'm smarter or more sacrificial or whatever. It's like that's the work of the spirit in me to even want to do that. So in verse 20 or 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, many, uh, and though many are one in body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Now, as he goes along, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but the rest of the passage is connected with the issue of love. We're going to see that again in the next hour. It's a big theme on my mind. Uh, But it's this issue of I'm using my gift in love to build up the body, to encourage the body, to help mature the body. And for that reason, the spirit has given it to me and now I'm going to exercise it for the gifts of the body. Why? Because I love Christ and I love the body of Christ. And that's how I want to use my gifts. So what we find here, among other things, is the idea of just, you know, I'm going to use my gifts for myself or I'm going to use it in isolation or I can be. A Christian without the body of Christ just makes no sense because if the Spirit gives giftings to the people of God individually as he wills for the building up of the body, then the Lone Ranger Christian makes no sense. It's just squandered. And I do think that there are Lone, lone uh, Ranger Christians who think they're, they're more mature than other churches. I can't be a part of a church because nobody's mature enough for me. You, you probably met that guy, haven't you? Or that gal who's just like, you know, i got, I got to go get my learning on the Internet because there's no body that's good enough for me. Uh, there are, and they wouldn't put it in that terms, but it's like there's no church zealous enough. There's no church sacrificial enough. Like, I'm the lone guy, and then they're, they're exercising their gift apart from the body. It's just like, that's not how this works. I love uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, counsel when he was ta- writing letters to a friend of his who had recently come back to faith. And he said, I, I'm looking for a church. And Eugene said, Find the smallest and the closest church you can find and commit yourself there for six months. And if it is impossible for you to stay, go to the next smallest and uh and, and closest church because those are the churches that need you. And so he doesn't say, Here's all the things that you need to be, you know. He doesn't give him a list of 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 consumer expectations of what to do. He basically says, Look, you go And if the gospel's there, then find a place to serve and use your gifts because it's not about you, it's about the good of the body. And so we see a lot of that then in 1 Corinthians 12. And there's probably other things that could be said along with Eugene's counsel, but I I find that to be a, a particularly challenging one. So then we get to the identifying of gifts. And when we identify, and this is where everybody's like, okay, give me the list so I can do the test and figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, How many times I've heard that over the years and every time I've taught on this, it's either because I'm really fuzzy and people still walk away going, I don't I don't know what my I don't even know how to figure out my gifts." So I'm either being fuzzy or something else is going on. But often and you can find spiritual gifts testings uh, on the interwebs. You can I mean, these things have been around for years. You can look at it. There's identifying gifts. What they try to do is is to take the the listing of gifts in the New Testament and line them out, and categorize them, which I'm going to kind of do here in a minute too. <laughs> but they're going to be broader categories. And let me take this test to figure out what it is. Well, the three main places that the spiritual gifts are listed are 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. And if you just put those side by side, what's clear is, like, there's no exhaustive list. These are like sample, example lists. Like, for example, here's, here are some of the gifts of the Spirit. And in another place, Paul lists the same writer doesn't come up with the same list. There's a listing of different. He categorizes them somewhat differently, and they're not even the same uh, listing of things. So Paul wasn't intending to be exhaustive. And there's one list or these lists that you put together. It's like here are some of the ideas of what spiritual gifts are. As a matter of fact, I think Peter, uh, if you'll turn to first Peter, if you were here for first Peter, you may remember this. But Peter, I think, categorizes it and breaks it down into two very easy categories, if not exhaustive, at least uh, fairly comprehensive. In First, or, excuse me, First Peter chapter four, verse ten, after talking about uh, hospitality, self-control, prayer, loving one another, verse ten, as and this is in correspondence to First Corinthians twelve, as each has received a gift. So you already you already have it. I mean, whatever the gift or giftings are, you already have it as each one has received a gift. uh, Sorry, I lost my place there. There we go. Use it to serve one another there again. The Lone Ranger Christian syndrome doesn't really fit in. It's it's my gifts are here to serve people. Use these gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he breaks down and he doesn't give a, you know, a list of 10 or 12 things. He basically speaks into two categories. Verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, that's the second category, is one who serves by the strength of the spirit that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to Him be long glory and dominion forever and ever. So what I see Peter doing here is basically categorizing. There's two major areas of giftings. And there's some blending, but basically it falls into these two. It's word and deeds, or word and service, or word and actions. It's basically two categories of what we say and what we do. And this is very very in conjunction with... um, even how God reveals himself. God reveals himself by his word, and God reveals himself by his works. And so God as creator reveals himself through creation, through provision, through redemption, through providence. Um, So God reveals himself a lot in what he does without saying a word. And then he also reveals himself in the word, in the gospel, in in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in, in All of that, so they're basically what we are as beings is what we say and what we do. So those seem to be two pretty simple categories. And so as I see it, the the spiritual gifts are basically broken down into those two categories. Um, You can see there what I'm calling on the left-hand side the ordinary work of the Spirit. On the right-hand, the extraordinary. I think in Scripture we find that uh, spiritual gifts break down into these two categories. Notice I don't say normal and abnormal gifts. I don't talk about natural abilities and supernatural abilities. I'm scrapping all that language. These are both the work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, makes that clear. It's a gifting from the Spirit as He wills. So what you find then on the right-hand side is what I'm calling the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. And I'm not even going to call them miraculous because I think that... Uh, it, it doesn't convey the right idea, but it's the extraordinary. And how do I know an extraordinary gift of the Spirit? It's something that happens that you don't have to prepare for or, or uh, cultivate skills in. It's something that God does in supernaturally and apparently unilaterally in a person. Let me give you some examples here. For instance, New Revelation New revelation comes by the Spirit as he wills here, and I don't mean now ongoing new revelation, but I'm speaking of scriptural revelation, that what he does is he carries each one along, as Peter describes it, is that uh, the new revelation of what he revealed about himself in the Old and New Testaments is something that God does through a person and their gifts, but it's not something they like went to school for or something that they... You know, went to prophetic school and figured out how to speak supernaturally. Um, So new revelation, uh, the gift of tongues in the New Testament is something. It's the ability to speak glossolalia, um, an unknown language in in Acts chapter 2, a dialect, a language that somebody didn't know. And they didn't, they didn't have a seminar about it. They didn't go to language school. They were suddenly able to speak in a language that was not their own so that people of other language and dialects could hear them and understand them. That was not something that they had a Pentecost Day school on. That was something the Spirit did through them. And they were speaking, and they were acting, and they were using the breath in their lungs. But something was going on there that they had not trained for. Um, and that's an extraordinary work of the Spirit. The issue of foresight, predictive prophecy, discernment, visions, and dreams. These, if you will, take place through the human person, but it's something the Spirit does um, sovereignly, unilaterally in the person. And they, therefore, you don't go to school for these kind of gifts. You don't have to worry. If, if, if Christ gives you this gift by the Spirit, it will happen. And, and it's not like, and I'm not even debating right now whether they are or are not um, ongoing. But my point is, this was something in Scripture that that the Spirit does, if you will. And I don't want to say the the participant is passive because they're active in it, but they're they're passive receptors of something that's outside of themselves. Then we move into the second category of deeds. These include instantaneous healing, sign gifts, supernatural feats, uh, and then uh, supernatural protection. So these are all things I don't put these on the chart. um, I don't put these on a chart of things that you need to cultivate. Because if the Spirit gives you these gifts or a gift, it's it's something that's given sovereignly. It's not something I need to try to figure out and exercise. But that's different than this this first category, uh, which uh, again breaks down into these two uh, categories, words and deeds. So there's the ordinary work of the Spirit, which includes teaching... Uh, the gift of faith. Uh, faith can be cultivated. Comfort, the ability to comfort, the ability to encourage with words one another. The gifts of languages, like on a mission field, I think there are people who are clearly given linguistic gifts. Uh, the gift of counseling, which follows falls under comfort and encouragement, uh, the gift of writing, which is a nonverbal, verbal communication, uh, written communication, uh, wisdom and insight. The ability to study and understand and comprehend God's truth. So all of those are things that just, I'm, I'm making a distinction. Those are things that I cultivate, that I can grow in, that I can get better at. But I'm still using those gifts. So that those are what I'm calling word gifts. They're gifts of communication. They're gifts of um Abilities to to encourage. And uh, that, that's where I think in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about a wish that you would all prophesy for he who prophesies, edifies and comforts and builds up the body. Uh, so I see prophesying in that case, not in the right hand category, but in the left hand category Um, but these are basically word gifts that are used, and so it could be a writer, it could be a Bible study teacher, it could be someone who who writes books, it can be a pastor, a teacher, it could be someone who uh, is teaching their children in their home and have the ability to to communicate uh, for the good of the body of Christ in the kingdom, Um, so those are some examples there, but those are things that are to be pursued and Uh, It could be the gift of evangelism, of the ability to think on your feet, to be able to the ability to communicate to a person uh, spontaneously, uh, to have a quick mind and be able to engage others in what the gospel. So there are gifts of evangelism, I would put under this category. Then the second category here, which is lower in the image, but not lower in the hierarchy of importance. These these gifts are very important. Um, and I think often where, where there's a church that puts a high premium on truth, then it's the truth, the communication of the truth, like are the better gifts. Like those are the gifts you really want to have. You, like you want to be a preacher or a missionary or something like that, because then you've really made it. And I don't view it that way at all. There are these gifts that are service to the body that are also important. So the deeds part, part of it could be skill and craftsmanship. Uh, administration or management. And again, these are and these include verbal communications, but it has to do with the ability to do something. Uh, administration or management. Physical care and healing, uh, such as a nurse or a doctor. Uh, arts and music are ways to, uh, of course, music can have lyrics in it as well, but these are gifts that music itself and art itself is a gift. It's a, more of a deed gift that Gets fuzzy because it does communicate ideas or it can communicate ideas. So these are fuzzy categories. Physical strength. Um, I mean, tell me physical strength wasn't a spiritual gift for Samson. You know, he, he did the work of the Lord by his physical strength. Works of service, acts of mercy, giving and generosity, money-making. So these aren't airtight categories, but general categories by which I want to say that whatever your gifts are, whether it's it was like, well, uh, you know, I don't know how to teach a Bible or I can't teach a Bible study. I get nervous in front of people, um, but I know how to install a dishwasher for a single mom, but that's not as important. No, that is hugely important for a single mom or any mom or any dad. Um, so those are gifts that are used that are not lesser gifts. They're gifts used for the body. Uh, administration is an important gift. Um, teaching, all, all of these are gifts, and you can really just kind of obliterate Those two categories, uh, the top and the bottom, just like whatever God has gifted you to do when you do it for his glory in his kingdom, for the good of his body. It's a spiritual gift that is used for the edifying and building up the body. And so identifying the gifts comes back to what am I good at? What do I love to do? What how has God made me? What are the ways that I can pursue to, to do this and use it for the good of God's people? How is it I can build relationships so I can um, uh, announce the gospel to non-Christians? How do I function in this way? Um, and that's what we're about here is, is making, and I, I preached a, um, a sermon from 1 Corinthians a lot, a lot of years ago. But the, t- side, the title of the sermon was uh, The Glorious Mundane. There's, most of us live not in, in the highlights of spiritual experience. Most of us live in the mundane, and I think true spirituality uh, redeems the mundane things of life and says, how can I, can I see Christ magnified through the mundane? Because that's where I live 99.9% of my life. And if we can't glorify God in the mundane, then most of our life is a waste. Um, but if we can glorify God in the mundane, then we're leave, living a truly redeemed um, and God-glorifying life. All right. I don't have time for Q&A. We're at over a couple of minutes, so I'm going to stop there. Uh, please let me know if you have any questions. Again, I've taught on this before, but if you have any particular questions, it's, it's a challenge to get all of this in one session, uh, but please let me know your thoughts and let me know if you have any questions. Let me pray, and uh, let's prepare for worship, please. So, Lord, we ask that uh, the mundane in our lives um, would be glorious to you, that we would, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we would do all for your glory, that we would live with our gifts and our abilities in serving the body of Christ and so serving in your kingdom. Give us boldness to proclaim, to announce the good news of Jesus. uh, Renew our commitment to make disciples, mature them, to equip your body, and to build the church. We pray in Christ's name.